Thanks for tuning in. Real Talk with Matt Sanzato begins now. Special guest today, Larry Weaver. We're going to start off with a song from his classic group, My Three Scum. This was the one that brought everybody in back in the day. This is Toast. We'll be back in just a few to talk with the man. things man that was a hell of a song back in the days of the eerie uh, punk rock heyday uh which i don't know when, when it was really the heyday was it what pistol whip in the 70s was it my three scum in the 80s and 90s was it the hardcore revolution i don't know man but lots of things have gone on in my city uh hometown erie pennsylvania over the years that have gone undocumented and since i've been spending a little extra time here with my mom and such uh Wanted to start sitting down with some of my people, and uh, today is a very special interview. Larry Weaver um, of the band My Three Scum and other bands in Erie. He was a very formidable person in my life, as in uh, the guy who was booking shows here before me, who was doing things, you know, showing me that it could be done, and uh, really going against all the odds before uh, most of us ever stepped up and tried to do uh, punk rock all ages events, man. We talk about all that in the show today. Definitely been a great friend uh, for many years, done a lot of things for this scene. Um, Erie, Pennsylvania isn't a big city, but it's a cool, small city. It's not a small town. It's a small city. 
And there's always been a lot going on here. We talk about some of the things that happened over the years, like how Keep Eerie Weird was a thing way before Keep Austin Weird, like way before. Uh, some of the music scenes that led up to us building careers for ourselves, basically. And, uh, yeah, we get into all sorts of things. It's kind of hard to find some of their music online, but it is on Spotify, My Three Scum, and uh, there's generations of that. My name is Matt Sanzala. Matt at PusherMania.com is my uh, email address. I'm going to get a pop screen, I promise, soon. And um, I'd love to hear from you. PusherMania.com is just a you know, a mess of pictures and nothing. But this will be there, and you can tell a friend to tell a friend to tune in. We're going to play one more song from My Three Scum and then just get right into it with Larry Weaver. This is I'm on Drugs, another big one from my past. <laughs> Getting back to it here with another real talk with Matt Sanzala. This is the Pusher Mania Podcast Network, uh, very inconsistent network, but we do try. And I've been trying for a minute here to get with a good friend of mine for many years, a mentor to me, someone who I definitely watched coming up as a youth in Erie, Pennsylvania, and uh, was a big inspiration for all my life. Larry Weaver, welcome to the studio today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Man, thank you for coming. Uh, I'll never forget. You know, back in the day, these these punks today, they have it a lot easier than uh, than we used to. And I had it easier than your generation, I'm sure. You're only a little bit older than me, but I know uh, 
<clears throat> I know what things were like in Erie back in the, in the early days. Yeah. A little crazier. It's like you had to go all the way to Super Duper East if you want to see a punk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a, wasn't a very nice town becoming up as a punk rocker. No, I know. It was pretty rough. Uh, 70s and 80s in Erie was a little different than today. <laughs> no, I know. I used to hear about the like the heads, the heavy, the metal kids. Yeah, absolutely. You know, giving a lot of shit to the... The jocks. The, the punks, the jocks, all that. It wasn't a very common sight here. Tell me about um, the early days, because I, I want to talk about when I first saw you, and and I want to talk about how things changed with the Continental Ballroom later. But before that, when I was real young, and bands like you had, like your first man I ever saw you with was FOD. Correct. And I saw you behind the Nautilus Fitness Center. <laughs> yeah, the infamous. Yeah. That show was crazy, but it was like, that was the type of thing you had to do to see shows back then. There wasn't just a place, right? especially all ages. Right. The all ages scene really wasn't put down until, obviously, you and me did the Continental Ballroom. It was, you either played places like that, like the YMCA or Mm -hmm. anywhere you could pick up a gig, you know, but mostly bar shows. Mm -hmm. So not until the Continental days did Erie start really forming a a big scene, you know. Right. When we were... uh, younger i remember there was a couple of places like it was funny i went and saw lydia at uh the antique shop on 17th and cherry and on that same block just west of there is that church i think it's a lutheran church and these and i saw my three scum i think for the first time in the basement there with i think talon like two metal bands and my three scum yeah i think i think you're correct on that one um i think a uh, metal band french made I think oh, we man. Played with them. I, I, I dig up these memories once in a while. But, yeah, we would take a show anywhere. Yeah, I know the Riegers were on that show, so Talon, Talon was on that. Correct. But we would take a show anywhere. It didn't matter if we were playing your basement. We had to get out. And it, that's yeah. how it spread on the East Coast with us, too. Mm-hmm. Well, like, before all that, we'll talk about uh, My Three Scum, especially, because I think that's the, you know, the band I saw the most and you're probably most known for. But the, um, how were you around, like, in Pistol Whip days? No, I'm a little... Yeah. Younger, younger than that. Yeah, uh, I thought those, so. But... Those guys are a few years older than me. But I saw those bands, and that's yeah. kind of where I got the idea to start playing out, not just mm-hmm. being a basement band. And, you know, um, when I started forming the record company, you know, Erie Records, mm-hmm. uh, Endangered Species, obviously, was a model, mm-hmm. as was Danger House out in California. And mm-hmm. that's how that came about with the records and, you know, yeah, get, well... getting out there. I was probably six, and I, st- I do remember seeing Pistol Whip at the Erie Arts Festival. Yeah. Which oh, was like 78. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think I was in on that show, but uh, I remember seeing Ape. Remember a band called Ape? Mm-mm. That was, uh, I think it was Lenny Bovey from uh, oh, yeah. Tripod Jimmy. Okay. And I saw them at like the Y or something, and that, you know, Man. Erie Underground's pretty heavy. I mean, there's it goes a lot deep. Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, people don't know, I mean, like, in the 70s, you know, my father was involved with some stuff, and then he left. But uh, I had all the like the little forty fives, like Easy, the Frenchman, oh yeah, uh, Guardian, Prophecy, Prophecy, all those type bands. I mean, and what's funny is I dug those out in the last few years, and when I put them on, they sounded like hits to me. Like those were songs yeah. I heard over and over yeah, as a no, kid. You eerie, know? eerie deep talent, deep musical talent, and that's with this operation going on now. It's sad because the whole mm-hmm. thing has come to a grinding halt, and I yeah. think we're gonna miss a lot of good things that would have been happening on record or mm-hmm. you know, digital, whatever you want to do now. But I, I think it kind of shut it down. I mean, I think things got shut down and it sucks, but I, I've been living in Austin for some years and to see the, like it's devastation down there. Like right. it sucks here, but like 
half if it's not tech it's it's music venues down there you know and like right. those music venues downtown looks like a ghost town downtown Erie looks better than austin right now yeah yeah i, b- I believe it that when you're making a living playing music and it gets shut down that's kind of the end of it yeah. yeah it sucks but back in those days um like i'd hear stories of like things that happened in, in Erie before my time and i know texan the horse has played here once oh yeah Correct. Yeah, they came in, uh, played with uh, Thirsty Brats. Wow, okay. And that was at, held at the Armory. That was another place we'd wow. play, um, you know, underground shows. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Tex and the Horse, a lot of a lot of big bands have come through over the years, especially when we were involved with the scum, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that whole era, that was a whole other era. But I'm thinking, like, you know, when we were young, and I always say that, like, we used to have to go to, like, a church basement. <laughs> correct. Or, like, that scene, tell me about what you remember of that day. Like, cause it's kind of surreal to me. I remember walking into Nautilus, which was a, a gym, like yeah, a fitness were, gym. And it was were, a new, like state of the art one for the time. They too. were opening a wave pool. Exactly. And, and that's, and I don't know how we got invited, but <laughs> faces it, of death. Yeah. So, you know, and then they give us a day pass. Like we're going to use the gym, yeah. you know, walking around and they're, they got us. And this is the most insane thing. They got us a keg of beer. At, oh, the, at the health club, which is wrong. It's 10 in the morning already. You know us. We're not yeah. We're not playing around. Yeah. So we're walking around this gym with a keg of beer and smoking cigarettes, watch people work out. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go out and rock it. You know? Yeah. And so, then there was this, it was like the opening of the wave pool show and the punks all showed up. Right. Like what we had here. And it was, I mean, I was, I was probably 10th grade then or something like that. And like, it was a great experience because we didn't get that, you know, in, uh, luckily in Erie, we're so close to Cleveland, Buffalo, and Pittsburgh. I mean, it's a two-hour drive, which is enough. It's better. I'd rather not have to do that at one in the morning after the show. But right, well, we right. did have access to a lot of shows that weren't that far away. Oh yeah, every every pizza joint anybody was putting on shows back then. Right, you know, Cleveland, Buffalo. Like you said, you didn't have to go far. And word of mouth was incredible back then. Mm-hmm. This is before the internet. Mm-hmm. You really had to work at getting to know these people and where to be yep. at what time. You know, it's it's these kids have it easy today. That's oh no, you know. Without without the internet, you knew somehow that there was a show in Buffalo at three in the morning mm-hmm. <laughs> on a Tuesday at yep. a pizza shop, and you were there. <laughs> well, we also we did. Luckily, I mean, I don't know if this was Dave Richards because Dave Richards wrote for the the daily paper here for most of my life. That right. I know Dr. he wrote Rock. about music, Doctor Rock, and uh, our local listings would include shows in Cleveland, but Buffalo, and Pittsburgh at least once a week. I believe there yeah. was one that showed like all the you know, the bigger shows and eventually corrosion of conformity became a bigger show or something, or you, you know, James right. addiction bands like that. You would see them listed popular. in the paper. Yeah. Yeah. I, and speaking of pizza places, and where I brought that up was cause I was in Buffalo one time and I just happened upon a place and in my younger days and there was a flyer in the window that said AOD. Wow. And I said, man, I don't know what that is, but I'll go check that out tonight. And it was like three in the morning at the pizza shop and it was adrenaline OD. Wow. Wacky hijinks tour. I couldn't wow. believe it. I just stumbled upon it for like a dollar. <laughs> <You know? clears throat> yeah, that was the bomb back then, like going up to, especially Cleveland, I think for me. I went there more than anywhere. Oh, yeah. Pe- there was, everybody went to Cleveland. Peabody's down under. I saw so many great English punk bands there, you know, GBH, Exploited. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York hardcore, of course. You know, saw the Crow Mags on that mm-hmm. first tour. That was insane. Yeah. But great clubs. You I mean, know, I, that's and, 300 capacity room. I saw Jane's Addiction. Me and Kim Kowalczyk went and saw Jane's Addiction. Yeah. Oh, that was a great room. Yeah. Have you seen the flats lately? Yeah, it's, it's douchey like yeah, every place like in America. A, they like took a over, mall. <laughs> yeah, they took over all the cool parts and made it into a mall. Yeah. 
I know Public Enemy actually played at a at a Peabody's once, which was pretty crazy. And you had a band before the rap group Public Enemy here near right. was one of your first bands was Public Enemy, right? Eighty three, yeah. And then it was uh, myself and Kenny Jabinski who ended up being the first drummer in the scum. That's right. But uh, we went to high school together, and we had musical interests together. And then we Did you started, go to Academy? Yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. And then we, we started that band, and then it kind of, you know, after high school, kind of just broke up. But then years later, we got back musically together again. So, mm-hmm. What was it like being in the punk in a school like Academy, which I know was like half metalheads and half <laughs> rap heads, yeah. I would assume? Yeah, it was. we had a small, small group of people. Right? Yeah. But at that time, it was still new to Erie, too, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I think we were a little ahead of our time, so people didn't really know what to think of it. They just kind of left you alone. Yeah, you know? right, I'm sure. There wasn't, they didn't see MTV yet and yep. got, got the mall punk thing or anything, you know? Right, right. I remember my mom told me, I, this is a memory I have from being a little, little kid, maybe below 10 years old even, she said she was at the King's Rook Club and all of a sudden, people broke bottles on the floor and were like squirming around on the floor. And they said it was the snake dance, and they were playing some crazy music. <laughs> I don't know about all that. I don't that, know about but that, but I remember her telling me that story. Sounds like some Quincy Punk stuff. This is before. <laughs> this is before either of us. I'm sure, way right. before. Right. Oh yeah. Well then. Right. And like Pistol Whip here. I yeah. Remember. When you were saying the set, you know, the X Whites, mm-hmm. Pistol Whip, you know, those guys were early, early innovators in Erie of, of that. You didn't see that kind of music here till they broke it out. You know. Mm-hmm. Like, Always give it up to Rick DiBello. He, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's crazy though because then you go back. I mean, I was seven, eight years old. I don't, I don't know what the hell was going on as far as their touring and stuff. But when you go read or watch the DVD they put out or go try to look in more to that band and see that like they were really Erie was on a real rocking circuit. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, they would go out there and work that whole circuit. They from Chicago, New York to. Well, I mean, they played all over, but like like we did in later days. I mean, yeah. once you got the network going. We, you know, we had it up from Erie to Boston to, you know, Albany, Harrisburg. I'd make the whole circuit go go a couple weeks at a time, mm-hmm. you know, in your young days. You yeah. yeah. Oh, man. No, <laughs> it I was rough. <laughs> it was rough, but I always, I say, like, like, I'm really a hands-on father. I love to be with my family all the time. I, that's my main thing I want to do. But honestly, if I could have them all in a, in a Winnebago on the road, at sure. all time, I feel so much, so at home, like, out on the road. Yeah, maybe you, not you, in a van that's breaking down. Every you way, did, but, yeah, I said you know, as you got older then, and th- those years are behind you, and you don't do that anymore. Then you can afford the good cars and yeah, the right. vans and the, right. the guitars, and you know when you're wrecking stuff all the time. Before you couldn't afford nothing. Yeah, no, and, man. and it was rough. You, you know, you travel eight hundred yeah. miles and play to ten people. Yeah, or you might travel. 200 miles and played at 300, yep. 400. You know, you never knew. It was a crapshoot. Never knew. <laughs> and so, you didn't, uh, especially the pay. <laughs> there was yeah. no pay. <laughs> no, on that lost tour, we had some, we had a, like a few nights that made it us able to to continue, you know, and we had Correct. many more that were like showing up in Lubbock and the promo, the bartender's like, man, he quit a long time ago. Who? <laughs> yeah. All these promoters were always iffy, yeah. you know. <laughs> and you didn't, you couldn't just text them. It Jeff, wasn't like right. email. There's no email. Right. There's Jeff nothing. doesn't live here anymore. <laughs> like, oh we just God. drove 500 miles. What are you talking about? Or they're tripping on something you never even heard of. <laughs> right. And you're like, uh. <laughs> Remember we crossed paths at uh, ABC No Rio. Yeah, of course. And lost, and us both are in New York City at the same time. And then that trip, that was one. There was no pay, no nothing. You had to sell merch. Mm-hmm. And that was one of our big things with the scum. We had merch all the time. That's how you're going to eat, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, we drove all the way back. We didn't 
and we ran out of gas in Harbor Creek, which well, you're not I from, remember if that. you're not I from Erie, yeah. Harbor Creek is like 10 miles from our house yeah. <laughs> where we needed to be. And we just completely ran out of gas and no money, no nothing. We just had to hoof it. Oh, <laughs> that was man. it. Oh, those were the days though. It is what it is. Like <laughs> right. we did what we had to do. And that, to be honest, that show for me, was pivotal because uh, Jim Testa from Jersey beat was at that show. I met him and he's the first person that ever gave me an opportunity to write. Like I wrote some stuff for Jersey beat. Nice. Like literally the first assignments I ever got was from him and yeah. from that show. That Yeah. That was a, that was a great show. I can't remember who was it that played from New Hampshire and we've crossed paths with them before too. Was it beef trust? No, they're from, not from I New can't Hampshire. Think of it. They were like pop punk before their time. Really? Like remind me of like a blink One Eighty Two now, but, huh. but we, we had him at the Continental one time too. Was it the Broken Toys? No, that's no, Boston. That's Boston. Boston. Yeah. yeah, great huh. band though. There, but Broken Toys put out some great material. Yeah, my daughter still wears some of my old shirts, and that's one of the ones she wears, and it has a syringe on it. Yeah, and I right. had to tell her, "Don't you can't you can wear the other ones to school, not that one." You know, this is when she was little too. I think that was like around. Sugar and Spice or something. The name of the record. Yeah, exactly. Had. <laughs> right. Yeah, they were cool, man. Carl. Yeah, we did a lot of shows with them up in Boston. We actually famous places to play we played at the rat skeller oh, twice yeah. we played the little room and then the big room the second time we were up there and i just saw recently on the news that they tore it down ah oh, geez another great venue like cb's or you know so many places i mean there's a place in houston called the axiom that i literally grew up in and it's just sitting it's sitting it still has the sign on the outside with no letters but it still has this arrow sign and it's just a building sitting in the middle of you know condo land now but this right. building still exists it yeah really could do something. some of the famous more famous punk rock clubs or whatever and they're they're just disappearing there's no yeah no, i'm not gonna say the scene kind of wavered but i think a lot of people went the took the punk thing and they just went pro with it yeah you know what i mean it's not when you, you talk about your no effects and rancid and stuff like that back in the day i mm -hmm. mean we played with these people yeah. and they're they're all great people i paid no effects 60 dollars on a tuesday at the continental ballroom and the ag's 40 that's AGs, that yeah. was them. The AGs, okay, they're from New Hampshire. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no okay. effects. Now you look at it now, though. It's a giant corporation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not not knocking anybody. You made a living at it, but they were all in the same boat we were. Mm -hmm. No, I think that was amazing. I mean, they literally played Erie on a Tuesday for to not have a night off. Right. And I said, you can have the door. That's all I know. You know, I, right. I know I know who you are. We played with them the next night in Buffalo. Okay. We played that show for, with you and then. In Buffalo the next in night. In Buffalo the next night. I don't know how we weaseled ourselves onto that show, but that was. Well, I hope one. that was a better show. I mean, the show here was fine, but like, you know, that was a challenge. And I want to talk about the ballroom for sure, because that, that was a challenge because it was kind of like, like the first band I brought here was the Laughing Hyenas. Yeah. And nobody was listening to the Laughing Hyenas. We had to really organically figure out how to make people just want to come to a show well, for most everything we did. It was like, we were kind of, okay, here's, this is going to be cool. Y'all come out. Well, I think the continental though, you know, took on a life of its own mm -hmm. after, after those first few shows, like, you know, we mm -hmm. did the first one talked to Ralph Yama into giving me the, <laughs> the joint. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about that. Like, how did, how did you, I'll, I can say how I first got in because of your show. How did you first get into the continental ballroom? It was all by chance. I was just flipping through a phone book one day looking for a place to rent mm -hmm. to, you know, put a show on just one show. That's mm -hmm. all. And I looked on, it said overhead doors. And I was like, what, what is this all about? And I called the place and the guy's name was Ralphie Yama. Hmm. He said, uh, yeah, I got a warehouse. And I said, well, could I rent that out? I want to put on a rock and roll show. I didn't say nothing about mm -hmm. punk rock or, you know, and got to lead it in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he says, yeah, it's a old factory over there. And I walked over there with him and, 
showed me around and made me a hell of a deal. Yeah. And then that was my end. It was just by chance I was looking through a phone book at warehouses or. Yeah, and by the way, the north side of that building was was Crumbles. Yeah. It was, it was, it was half falling. the building was, was actually already halfway knocked It was down. an old continental rubber plant. That, yeah. That was before they put the ballroom in there. And then yeah. it was ballroom dancing. And then. That, well, the Younger Brothers, which is the band, Paul Yachlin, then right. had that as like their rehearsal space. They had bocce courts in there, like yeah. the Italian club. Well, right next door to it was the club, too. Was that? Was okay. That the uh, Knights of Columbus or something. That's true. Right yeah. there. And, yeah. Because they used to get upset back. Yeah, they used to love us. <laughs> and, uh, on a Saturday afternoon, they're trying to trying to play bocce and have a beer, and we're over there banging away. And a bunch, bunch, of, bunch of people in the parking lot. Yeah, they weren't taking it. <laughs> the parking lot scene was bigger, bigger sometimes yeah. than the inside. Well, that show you guys had, My Three Scum, Backwash, and Lost, that was really inspiring to me because, one, like I said, it was one of the first shows that I got to see that was all punk bands. It wasn't. Right, no mixed some metal in. bands in a in a church basement. I like metal too. I'm not gonna front, but I mean, like, it was such a refreshing day because there was a a crowd. I think it oh, was yeah. snowing that day too. It was February. I can't remember that part of. I it. believe it was if February, it, it, and I believe it was snowing outside. It could have been June and snowing too. It's yeah, eerie, I know. You know? <laughs> it doesn't matter. But I remember, like, yeah, it was a Sunday or Saturday afternoon. I think it was a Saturday. Saturday afternoon, yeah. and it was packed. Yeah, that was the first show. We locals, kept, all locals. Well, we kept getting bugged. You know, we were only doing bar shows at the time because mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of action going on there. And kids kept coming up to us and, hey, why, how come we can't come see you? You know, it was always Norbs or mm-hmm. or, or Shooters or, you know. Yeah, right. Rough. <laughs> the kids ain't coming there. But uh, yeah. they kept bugging, bugging. And I said, all right, I'll put something on. But you guys support this or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm putting money on the line to get this going. And they did. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking there was 300 that first show. Easily, some of the some of the better shows. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was at the Continental for other shows when the hardcore started. That and man, they were really packing it in. You know, right well, off the bat. But I think mm-hmm. we, you and me, laid the groundwork for these people to get the idea how to do it. Yeah, it was just another generation of, of it was, kids it was with the their next music. Step. You know, yeah. and that Yuri became a major stop on the hardcore. Oh, absolutely. Uh, IQ route. Records. That everyone came. Here. That room was huge. And they would pack it down there. But. And the uh, and I mean, Brothers Keeper. Brothers. I mean, I was in. I didn't get to go because they played in Southern Netherlands. So I was living in Amsterdam in '96. Roger and them. Yeah. They played Nijmegen. They were on a whole European oh, tour and they everything. Were, they man. were over there quite a few times. Yeah. A lot of a lot of you know, not just the hardcore. I mean, look at Backwash. You know, started out here. Mm-hmm. Eric Nielsen and, and Alex. And Alex went on to make Submachine when he went down there to go to school. Yeah, Pittsburgh. They, they're all over the place. That's right. They've been yeah. to Europe. They, you know, these are all eerie yep. and grown. You know, you could say you're from Pittsburgh, but we know where you're from. Right, right. No, it's like trains from San Francisco, you know. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> there's a lot, though. There's a lot that's come out of here that did not get its due, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. But Brothers Keeper, yeah, they took it to the next level. Mike yeah. Ski, that guy's a genius. He, mm-hmm. And he still, and then he went on, I think, the AKAs. Yeah. His other kind of. And they, they did well, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Kim Kowalczak was in town recently and telling me about, telling me pictures. He bought a church, I think, in Philadelphia. I heard something and has about his that. And like, has his whole business tattoo going. studio in yeah. there. And yeah, they call him the mayor of Philadelphia now. Really? Yeah. Man. <laughs> he did very well. Yeah, it did well. That's great. That's a, but it's crazy. I, like I say, with what's going on now, like I feel like a city like Erie can, uh, has withstood so much through so many years, like it's going to withstand through this too. I mean, it's, 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 yeah. everybody's taking a big hit, but yeah, we're rust belt. You know, we you bounce know, back. You know, I'm just hoping there's people working on new music right now. So they're, they're ready when this thing opens back up and get out there oh, and yeah. 
you know, put on the all ages shows and show, you know, mm-hmm. people, you can still grassroots. You don't, you don't need to be the big guy. No, no, no. That's the, uh, that's crazy. The Continental Ballroom, the building's still there. Oh yeah. It's still there. Yeah, it's for sale actually. It has yeah. a for sale sign. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much of it's intact, but I know a few years back it caught on fire too. Oh geez. In the back area there. So yeah, I'm sure it's in pretty bad disrepair there <laughs> yeah well how long did that go on for i mean because that 89 was the beginning yeah i'm gonna say well when did the hardcore kids it wasn't that long afterwards in 90 I mean, like groups like mean season 92 and things like that were happening within 90 91 is probably i want to say 92. the punk shows though it was pretty fizzling out by the early 90s already yeah uh, 88 we started it so Say ninety two maybe. Mm-hmm. I know there was a lot. I mean, all played there. Shudder to think. Oh, we had MDC. MDC. Yeah. MDC. That's a crazy story. They, they played on the fourth or third of July. Mm-hmm. They didn't have two days after that with no gigs. So, this is the only person I ever had to sign a contract with. Everybody else was shake your hand. You know, not mm-hmm. Dave Dichter. He needs a contract. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of money at the time. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it was like eight hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and that's a lot for a punk rock show. That's enough, you know, yeah. MDC, I'm sure they're iconic. It was a Metal Devil Coke tour, mm-hmm. so we come up short. Me and Bob are trying to figure out how we're gonna weasel this one out. And he yeah. said he was cool about it. He said, "Just give me what you got, and then can we stay at your house, the Scum House?" You know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no problem. Well, they ended up living there for like two, two, three days. Okay, they didn't have another gig. Well, guess who was playing bass at the time? Who was that? Matt Freeman. Oh yeah, that's on that crazy. tour. And we, that's wild. Yeah. And then I didn't put the connection together till later in life. Yeah. I was like, that's Matt Freeman from Rancid. You know, <laughs> he's yeah. playing. Yeah. It was he strange. stayed at your house. They all know each other, you know. Sure, sure. So that, yeah, that was crazy. A lot, a lot of people stayed there. Man, I know they did. I remember. And that was the spot right off of uh, Peach Street. Yep. It's still there. Yeah, it is. Not far from where I went to high school. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of guests. Yeah. <laughs> Neighbors didn't like us there either. <laughs> no, I'm sure they didn't. That was the spot. That was a thing too. When I would do shows, my mom was like real adamant, like they're not staying here. Yeah, <laughs> and but, and that's yeah. half of the thing of doing yeah. those kind of shows. You gotta, it's a give and take. Back then, you know, mm-hmm. we'd either get a show out of somebody or somewhere to stay. You know, that's how it all worked out. I mean, the first tours were just call one city and ask about the next one. You know, what's down? What's close to you? Where where else can we go? Ask another yeah. band. Yeah, well, know? that always would happen to us from Pittsburgh. They would mm-hmm. call. I, I can't remember how that connection got, but they called one time in the middle of the night. Hey, this show got canceled. It was ended up being two car family. Oh, that's right. And that's then right. they ended up staying with us. That's right. For they a were few, great. A few days, yeah. And then the guy wrote the book, mm-hmm. the Salad Days book, yeah, about that tour. That's right. And he, the whole book is fictitious, supposedly, but it's that tour. And then he names us, names checks us in the book, but nobody else. Hmm. Very strange. That is weird. I remember you lent me the book. I read. Yeah, the book. it was a good read. I hope I gave it back. Yeah, I got it. I think <laughs> I've lost many books over time. But that was him. Uh, Romolati? Romola? Hmm. Something. Salad Days is the name of the book, though. Yeah. Very good read, and, and it's about the early days in Lawrence, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And the, the band is Two Car Family, but he don't say it. Hmm. In That's the, right. In the book, he uses another name, but it's a growing up in that that era and but he definitely talks about the scum house and staying there and i still have that t-shirt yeah oh great band mm-hmm. really good band yeah that was that was an example of just the cool stuff that we could do like 
somebody would call. We could call the ballroom. I mean, let's. I mean, Polly Auckland, the owner of the Continental Ballroom, passed away within the last year. Yeah, I think it was. Yes. Little, I think it was 2019, end of 2019. And he had a long musical career. Yeah, he he was the younger right brothers. around with the Beatles, like mm-hmm. you know Peppermint Lounge. Yeah, yeah, they were they were in it. Yep. Yeah, he was a good guy to work with. Well, that was the thing. I didn't know anything about him, and uh, at that show, I just said to him. If I could do something like this, if I could get some bands to come in, you think I could book some things? He's like, you think you can do it? I said, I think I can do it. <laughs> Give me his shot. number. That was it. Yeah, yeah. No, he was that was decent guy to work for. I always say, you know, like I didn't necessarily know where the speakers came from when I went to a concert. You know what I mean? Right. Like I didn't know what all the whole process. He taught me the whole process, how to get the sound. Yeah, they worked with you us know? a lot to. Mm-hmm. to really help us like the first shows especially you know and and the bad ones yeah sure <laughs> so I mean, he'd give you a break on on the door or, or whatever they, they were decent oh man they were great and it was just such a i mean anybody in uh i think people in big cities even say this but if especially if you're in a smaller city in america you, you spend a lot of your youth talking about how there's nothing to do well that's you why know? you have to create it and, so and people... all of a sudden we had this like central place where right there were sometimes there were two shows a week. Oh, you know, for a while there, for it a was, while. yeah, and, and it gets in the summertime and mm-hmm. people would be touring. We'd get so many bands through here, you know. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it it was a lot different than it was a handshake and a mm-hmm. hey, bring some merch because that's probably what you're gonna make your money off of to get to the next city. So, mm-hmm. you know, but that's the thing. Then when I mean the agents and everything got more involved and serious when the records weren't selling so much. So right. That became the bread and butter for a lot of artists, but it also became like it cut a very serious line between the indie type stuff we were messing with, and then all of a sudden this established group that had agents and this and that, and yeah. then like if you go to Austin, bands that we were booking back in the day, they're playing house shows. There's a place called Kick Butt Coffee that'll give punk bands and and rappers and you know just young artists an opportunity. And then there's a couple of places that popped up in, in over the years, like little warehouse places, sort of, that lasted for a bit. But a lot of these bands, like they're playing, they're not playing downtown. No, no they're playing the. You know, start uh, over. Yeah, they're playing in the, these house shows, and it's kind of crazy. Well, it's like the circuit was back when we were still doing it. You you go to these towns, like we get to Columbus, and there was always a place to go to mm-hmm. play. The one place was a deli. Mm-hmm. Playing, you know, that's right. Bagels, bagels and deli, or whatever it was called, yeah. and just a little hole in the wall. But they, you know, no guarantee, no nothing. You just you went because you wanted to play in front mm-hmm. of people, and you know, and then you get a pretty good following mm-hmm. by doing that because you're not charging a million bucks to get through the door, mm-hmm. which I think is outrageous what they charge now. It's nuts. I mean, the big level of concerts, you know, there haven't been many that I wanted to see. In year like big names or something, but uh, like I wanted my my kids to go see Adele when she came to Austin. They liked sure. Adele when they were young, you know, Adele fans. Those tickets were one hundred and sixty nine dollars. Yeah, I can't pay eight hundred dollars for my family a four night out. And it's all overhead. It's for not. What? It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Ten dollars here, ten dollars there. The artist isn't getting that whole no. cut. So no, and it's it's, it's uh, crazy over- to see how these things have become. And luckily with Erie too, though, I will say, I mean. A, city, a lot of cities have been completely dominated by Live Nation and the big companies. Like they've become like right. It's, it's all they have this stranglehold rock. on these cities, and and I don't think Live Nation cares too much about 
the slow, smaller secondary markets. And I always tell people, especially young bands, even young rappers, I mean, say you go to New York City, 12 million people or something, and 100 people show up to your show. You could go to Erie, Pennsylvania and get 100 people at your show. Right, right. That, that five bucks a head is the same. And you'll probably get more of it in Erie than you would in a place like New York out of the door, you know, like, and so I think that's the, the main advice I give to a lot of kids now is don't forget about these markets, you know, secondary markets that are like, well, there's real people that are looking for something to do. Well, that's why when we were growing up, we were on the, the circuit with Cleveland, Buffalo, Eng- Caesar Engler productions. That's right. Yeah, Erie yeah. was a proving ground for, yep. you look back at uh, some of the shows, they were huge here because they tested them here before they went into the bigger market. Well, I mean, you look at that. I got the, I bought the T-shirt from Erie Apparel, the Erie County Fieldhouse T-shirt, and, and I bought the book about the Erie right. County Fieldhouse. That's a great book. Everyone, everyone Every, played here everyone in the played 70s. Here. It, even the big, big bands like Bon Scott died and mm-hmm. uh, ACDC, AC/DC Back yeah. in Black. That started here. Man. That tour started here because they wanted to test Brian wow, Johnson. Brian Johnson, yeah. Test them out first before they moved them on to the bigger markets. There's wow. so many incredible shows. That, 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 yeah. that joint was... Horrible for music. I was there many a times. Yeah, the sound was horrible. Yeah, yeah. But it, you went because it was the same thing. It was a scene. Mm-hmm. You want to be there in the scene, the rock and roll scene. You know? My second concert, my first concert was Kiss in Cleveland, which was a year after they played here. They played here, but I saw them in 70, 76 and seventy eight, I believe. I saw them in seventy nine and the Richfield Coliseum in Cleveland, and I was seven. And then when Alice Cooper came here on Special Forces to the Fieldhouse, that was my second concert. Yep. And one thing I remember most being eight, whatever years old then, man, you talk about the way weed laws have changed and stuff like marijuana <laughs> laws have changed, I guess, man. Cause, but back then you were, I was a little kid in this building. Like every person in here is smoking weed. Yeah. Like it was a whole, every show at the field house was they, ridiculous. They used to have giant, uh, trash containers by the door. Mm-hmm. And if they saw you coming in with beer and they'd fill them up. And at the end of the night, the crew would yeah. drink all the I'm <laughs> alcohol. Sure. I'm sure, man, that was such a scene. And I mean, Roberto Duran fought Lou Bizarro there. Oh, it was crazy. That, that was really happening. But that was because of that production. Yeah. Engler. Mm-hmm. They, they really put, put Erie on the map with that. Yeah. I mean, I think about, and then I think about growing up and seeing like quiet riot at Sherlock's, which right. was maybe 300 capacity. Right. Like the on the way up and on the way down, you you come through. See him at the county fair. Yeah, <laughs> I tell and I mean to be honest, every year when I'd come home for years, it was around more on the shore, and it's kind of cheesy for what it is, whatever. But it's that was quite an event to bring people into the city. I mean, I yeah. go to see the I saw Steppenwolf, <laughs> right, know, right, there, like for free and Jackal. Like I said it's on a county fair tour, but yeah, they, they yeah they'd get people that were like you said not. On their way down, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Like, you think about Quiet... No, dude, here's a messed up story about Quiet Riot. Me and my friend Mike and Ron Lewis went to that show. And uh, we were smoking weed in Mike's van, coming around French Street towards uh, North Park Row. And back then, it was the opposite direction. Like, you would turn right right on North Park Road to go to uh, State Street. Now it's, it's switched. I'll never forget... We came, we took a right on North Park Row off of French, and all the way at the end of the block, and it was kind of sleety night, all the way at the end of the block, we saw what we thought were four, like, heavy metal girls, like, decked out. Like, the long hair, the 
like sequiny clothes. Like right. we're like, oh man, we're going going to see the metal girls tonight. It's gonna be crazy in there. And no, that was quite right. Walking, <laughs> walking from the hotel to uh, to Sherlock's, man. So yeah, on the way down, but it is what it is. That's a testament to real right. artists. Because it was the same four guys. This wasn't like Kevin Dubrow, rest in peace, with uh three randoms. This was the four dudes from Quiet Right. <laughs> walking to the show. Walking from like the Avalon Hotel to Sherlock's <laughs> with their guitars, man. Couldn't, couldn't get the limo anymore. No, but I mean, you got to think about it. Like, that's what I love to see. I don't love to, I'd rather they make, a, you know, the money, but it's like, how much realer can you get? Right. You're, playing. You're just like, I want to play and we're still going to play and we're going to do this. Yeah, that's rock and roll. And I say this about the rappers in Houston all the time. Like, the Houston rappers who made it didn't just make it because you know, they were in a big city, but they did all of Texas. They did cities you never heard of. You know, Tyler, Texas, and Killeen, which Killeen is one of the biggest military bases in the country. You know, San Antonio, people come from all over the country to these bases, you know. And uh, <clears throat> that's basically how they spread their word. They didn't just right. sit around their town. They went, and that's the cool thing here. Like, I remember people would go to Warren, like little oh, towns yeah. you never heard of around here. And yeah, we played random all, those, shows. all those, too. Yeah. Altoona. Yeah. <laughs> Now, My Three Scum transitioned into, or not transitioned, but expanded into like a whole label and a store. Correct. Can you tell me about those days when Erie Records was first starting? Well, first got the idea. That was my my proper plan for my life. I, mm-hmm. I thought I was going to do music the rest of my life, and mm-hmm. a record store seemed the next logical step because records, this was right before CDs yep. and even way before digital, but mm-hmm. records were still going pretty good, so... Started a small store, scratched up some money, and then we expanded into the label. Mm-hmm. We figured if we can't get our music out, we shopped a lot of times to different labels mm-hmm. trying to get stuff out. And I don't know if you ever dealt with this, but it was a pretty catty operation. Yeah, it's, they, it's yeah, it's you know. So well, let's put it out ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, because we were putting out cassettes and things in the early days. All at do it at home, you know, did our own recordings. We ended up going to the studios later, but. So I started the label Erie Records and basically to put out some of our stuff. And uh-huh. then uh, a whole genre popped up around us. A lot of our friends started bands and, you know, so we started putting out their stuff. Uh-huh. And it got up to about 13 people that we put out. Who were some of them? Uh, the Retods, um, the Vultures. Yeah. Um, I got to draw a blank now. Oh, Bastard Brigade, uh-huh. Go-Go Rays. Right. Well, the Vultures was uh, Gary Bronze. Gary Bronze. out of Ohio, right? Yeah, out of Columbus. Um, he was the second scum drummer. Yeah. We went through three. Yeah, <laughs> We're yep. pretty rough on him. Yeah. <laughs> but Gary was with us the, the brunt of the touring days, so mm-hmm. he did he did a lot of heavy The lifting. Vultures did a lot, though, too. The Vultures were, yeah, they were surf in, instrumental, so mm-hmm. that was on the label. Um, there's a sampler. Mm-hmm. You can go on Spotify and put in my three scum and it'll come up. The sampler has all the, all the bands that were on the label. Mm-hmm. Some people from not, not from here. We put out the broken toys. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's we right. put us, they were all seven inches. That was my whole idea. My whole model was seven inch records. And then mm-hmm. along came CDs and changed the game because mm-hmm. relatively it was really cheap to press records back then. Mm-hmm. Now you look at it, it's not, not at all. It's not even cost effective. You can't even break even if you try to, press a record now I mean, it's it, coming back well everybody got back in the yeah. game and all the plants if you talk to them they have backlogs now of like six yep. months because all the majors started 
pumping them out again. So yeah, that's true. And they pr- and they push the price up on on pressing. I mean, so. I sometimes go to these record shops and I see these reissues or new records, like bigger name things, and they're thirty five dollars. Yeah. Uh, I don't can't get do it. that. No, and I, I don't. Well, the big labels can do it, but a small guy like me wouldn't be able to. No, you know, I mean, back then we were, we were pressing. I think they were like ninety-five cents a record. Mm-hmm. You could sell them for three, and still, you know. Yeah. But our deal basically was with the bands. Would we we give them a hundred copies? That was your handshake. You know, yeah. We didn't we didn't deal in contracts or cash or. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a hundred records. You're going on the road, sell them, and you know the money's yours. Mm-hmm. That that worked out great for everybody. Now there's ten dollars seven inches. Oh, definitely. For I mean, not like rare. Like no, just ten bucks to now, buy somebody yeah, seven now inches. Yeah, just coming because it cost them nine ninety five to press it. <laughs> yeah, and the the promoter's taking his cut. Yeah, right. Of your merch. Yeah, you know. But the the record end of it that that was very interesting. To and me. there was a store it's, too, though, right? Right. The, and that was on was that it on, was on Peach Street, yeah, yep. twenty right in that whole corridor. They call it um, Federal Hill. Federal now. Hill. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was store it, the store didn't last long. Just maybe two years. Mm-hmm. wasn't really a not. I'm not saying didn't make money, but it it didn't. It kept itself afloat. It paid for the electric, and but we used that as our hub too for mm-hmm. for the records. You know, getting everything together, putting the records together, all that. It was it was a good little shop, but interest kind of waned, and and uh, you start reaching in your own pocket to pay the rent. You know, you gotta. Call yeah, it call it a day, you know. Yeah, it gets hard. It's uh, it's funny to see though. There's record stores again. It's nice, well, that, you know. But that for is, that period, that period was where it went. They went away. Yeah, and quickly it was. You know, all all the good ones here went. Yeah, belly up quick. You know, record country. We oh, yeah. we weren't as big of a player as they were, but we, we had a, a unique shop. Mm-hmm. Our, our shop was more. Uh, get your fanzines and all people don't know what that is anymore right right you know but you know maximum rock and roll and all that kind of stuff so it kind of people gravitated to come there and and do more than shop they would just hang out you know we had pinball machines and stuff just just a hangout but i I miss those days of being able to go somewhere like that and read read a fanzine or you know all that stuff's in the wash Mm -hmm. yeah there's not much of that there's some cities still i mean austin actually has a bunch of record stores which is is crazy but oh, they're on the way back. They're coming um, back, and um, I've been noticing. I think Graham's here is only like special appointment right now. Yeah, because of this mess. Yeah. But um, that's a great shop, though. I mean, yeah. I, I go in there. You can spend lose a whole day in there. You know, mm-hmm. but that is, and I'll never forget when it first started. I mean, like the one it started in Edinburgh Mall. Edinburgh Mall. Yep. And we used to do that trek every couple weeks just to go see what we could dig through and find there. And then, of course, you mentioned record country. I mean, Debbie Lyon was probably the backbone of our scene and she and her husband but i mean as far as any kind of knowledge we could get about anything back oh, yeah. in the in the 80s especially um came from record country we'd have to go out there she would have like the nme or the melody maker or the kerrang or sometimes even hip-hop connection but not you know, now and again those were like uk news you know magazines that she'd somehow get for us oh or, yeah uh you know, the fanzines, especially regional ones, people would, would bring out that she always had Maximum Rock and Roll and I think Flipside. Yep. That's and you would go there when you knew the date those were supposed to come out, you'd go get those. And then you'd if she had some records or you could just always, if you read about something, she could order it. She could get it. She'd get everything. She, that was a great shop. And that's and she looked like after you said, it was like, Maximum Rock and Roll and uh, Book Your Own Fucking Life. Yeah. That, that was the Bible to me because mm-hmm. that's how I booked all those shows. 
you don't see that anymore. You know? Yeah, man. Picked it up. You did. Our number was in there. Everybody in mm-hmm. the East Coast, West Coast, whatever. You could just make a call. That was a great that book. That was the whole point. Yeah, Book Your Own Fucking Life was like, I still have in boxes here. I have the notebooks that I used to do when trying to book these tours. That was that was the first internet. Yeah. Before before the internet, you know, everybody would put their number in there. Yeah, and that's when you learned, like when I learned, you know, like make the call. Yeah, you just, just take the it. chance. See what happens, you know, and that's and you know we were all like minded people in that. You know, we all knew what we wanted. We wanted to book shows and help bands and you know be a network. Well, I, I think and, in, and if your number was in there, you are with like minded people. So yeah, exactly. it wasn't like you were just no rando out of the phone book and no, know. no. You so. submitted in to be in it and God, that was so uh That that was the Bible and the other thing that really helped me out in my record pressing thing was that simple machines. You yeah. remember that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You picked that I picked that book up, it was like woke me up, opened it up. This is how you do it. I can do this. Mm-hmm. If this guy Discord can do it. I can. You know? Yeah, for sure. So and that's how I got into the record pressing, and it went pretty quick. I mean, we put out a lot of stuff in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Then some of our stuff got picked up by uh, Smogville mm-hmm. Records, and then he put out a couple seven inches and some splits and stuff that we were on from one one split in Japan mm. and uh, one from North Carolina. So okay. they're interesting. So our, our stuff got circulated quite well. Every once in a while, I'll see on eBay or something, something will pop up. I need to find the, the Japanese split single then. I need to find yeah, that. Yeah, it was uh, us and uh, Jesus Saves. Okay. Wow. I have a test press you might be interested in. Huh. <laughs> I know. I'm glad we're doing this over here and not at your house. Right. I need to. I Big wallet. Enough, yeah. I got enough stuff right now. But that's a. I think about that here in Erie. Um, and you see, they even talk about it on like people like shows like American Pickers and thing or or Antiques Roadshow or whatever. Like you find way more like archivey stuff on the East Coast and like older right. things. But like that that translates to music, books, all kinds of things up here. When you go, I'll go to like a flea market in Texas or yard sales and stuff. And man, you come up here to a city like Erie or just whole region between Buffalo, Cleveland, yeah, there's flea markets and things. You find records. Crazy yeah. stuff. I don't think you see that as much on the West Coast in that because no. it just it doesn't travel well, I guess. Yeah. You know, people move yeah, to yeah. the West Coast, you kind of shed your... You know, I've lost more records than I bought probably in my yeah, life. Your I've stuff lost so on the East Coast, yeah, you're right. Swap meets and I, I can't wait to get back to that. Yeah. I miss that. I used to you know, pedal some of my stuff too, and but yep. just to go sift through somebody's, you know, never yeah. know what you're going to find. Yeah, I was surprised this summer the... Flea market was still open in Wattsburg, South of Erie. Oh yeah, and Waterford, yeah, Waterford, Waterford, yeah. And then there's always a guy that has some records there. He's been there for years, but uh, there was one guy who randomly would show up, and I don't know his name, but he would show up in a in a pickup truck with a cab on the back, with just boxes and boxes and boxes of records. And and I, I'd see him there because I'd come every summer, and if I'd see him there, yes, I caught him. And, uh, <laughs> That's probably Chris. There's only about Maybe, three yeah. or four of us in this town that sell yeah. <laughs> records by the box. <laughs> you know? I mean, he would have like Thin Lizzy records in perfect condition for $3. Oh, or yeah. Something. That's Just him. Like, That's stuff, him. Yeah. Chris, his collection is phenomenal. And I would always ask, do you have any eerie stuff? And he'd know. Like, yeah, yeah, let me see. And he'd find like, I probably have like four copies or five copies of that easy single. Yeah. He used to come down to the store all the time. And I bet. Barter with me. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. I love a... Uh, trying to collect the old eerie stuff oh yeah and they're they're out there mm-hmm. it's it's amazing for 
a town this small and the small pressing, I mean, I still, like I said, I still see my three scum stuff in circulation. There might have been a thousand of food folks and guns. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, a thousand. That's not. And then you see them, somebody selling it in England. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just yeah. blows my mind. Yeah. And then, but you'll see things like, you know, the Frenchman or that stuff pops up on eBay too. Mm-hmm. So there's a, still a market for small label yep. pressings, you know? It is. And this is a, I mean, that's a crazy thing. It was a rock and roll town. I mean, when I read that, uh, cause I lived in Austin for so long and the keep Austin weird thing is real. Like it'd right. be nice if they could have, if that would have been successful, but it wasn't, it's totally gone the other direction. But, um, keep eerie weird was a thing in the sixties and seventies. Right. Like they had buttons and posters and all that. Keep eerie weird way before keep Austin weird. Oh yeah. We still Which have funny buttons. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, and I, I think I know the name of the artist that made those the eerie ones and Richard Bola. Okay. He's a playwright here in Erie. He, he has a couple published plays and that, but I think he was the guy, the original guy that started that keep eerie weird. That's funny because <laughs> this is a weird place. He was my neighbor down on 8th Street. Oh, wow. Okay. It is. A, yeah, it's strange. Yeah. That's what we like about it. Yeah, me too. I'll tell you a quick story about you could pick people out from Erie when we'd be out on the road. It's so yeah. strange. Like we'll go in somewhere and there'll be some people and like, man, that, that dude's. Looks like a little, a little weird, you know, <laughs> or in Cleveland or, you know, Youngstown or something. And they come up, yep. Hey man, my three scum. I'm from Erie too. I'm like, I knew it. Yeah. Oh, that is funny. <laughs> something a little off about you. Yeah. I think it's the weather. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> I actually randomly had a kid in Austin. I was standing outside of a, a bar talking to one of my friends who was booked the bar or whatever. And uh, he came up asking for money. And I was like, you know, just started talking to him. And he's like, yeah, I'm just here. I just got into Austin. I said, where are you from? He's like, oh, I'm from Pennsylvania. <laughs> here and comes. I said, uh, oh, yeah, where? He's like, you probably never heard of it. I'm like, where? I'm from Pennsylvania. He says, Erie. I'm like, I'm from Erie. <laughs> I said, I'm from, I grew up on 26th and Wallace. He's like, well, I'm a 32nd and Reed or something like that. I was like, oh. And he actually had a little, like, graffiti book that he was drawing in. And he had, like, this whole, like, 32nd and Reed or whatever street it was. It was in that area. You like, can always draw this whole thing. You can <laughs> like, always tell. Damn. Yeah. For a small town, I don't know how we get spread out so much. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, a lot of people go and come back or just go. I, I've i been back here mostly for the last six months with my mother. And, like, I've, I'm enjoying it a lot being back here and just the vibe of the people. Like I said, Austin is an incredible city in a lot of ways, but the way it's blown up with the tech and the cost of living. And I mean, it's like, it's, um, you've seen it here, you've seen it everywhere, but it's severe. The, 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 the the homey places that you love that have shut down and like the places that like culture out of everything taking so much. And it's, it's for me, like I'm sensitive about that stuff. I don't want to be there really like seeing what's going on. It's a, it's really annoying. Well, you've been there a long time going into the tech thing. And I mean, I was in Houston for a long time, which Houston has more space to do those things. So there's still parts that you can go to and, and feel Houston, even Austin has just flipped so much. And I come back to Erie and lots has changed here too, but I see improvements. I see like things happening here. It has to. Yeah. It goes forward. A lot of people just want to be, the Debbie Downer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, anything new, you know, that's, yeah. that's a eerie thing too. If it's anything new, the old generation don't like, they're going to say, Oh no, man, we don't want that. We don't want to, we don't want a highway to bring people here. No, 
We don't want people finding out that we got a peninsula. Uh, (laughs) I don't want um, people to be run out of their homes necessarily and stuff, but there, I really don't. I mean, I've seen the worst of the worst gentrification in Austin, like how gross it is. And it's sad and it's, it's crap. You know, they pushed anybody without a good, you know, money, you know, the black neighborhood is decimated of Austin, like the main area on the East side. But I mean, anyway, artists, anybody are just pushed out into the suburbs. If that even further some, but, uh, here I'm sorry, but when I was a kid, the Bayfront was pretty ghetto. Oh, it was horrible. It was a mess. And it was a mix of people. It was industrial. It It was an industrial wasteland of just like a mess, man. That's your bread and butter. You, if you don't get the damn Bayfront looking right and take advantage yeah. of that, you go to some of these houses, the view over the bay, you'd pay a million dollars to that in any other city, right. man. I mean, literally a million at least for something like that. And it, that those those were like hood houses back in the day, like where they didn't plow the streets. Right. You know? Well, <laughs> like, and, and I think like, that's the, the, the nitty gritty of like our <laughs> whole scene was. Yeah. That, that's that's total eerie. Yeah. And that's why the hardcore and the punk and the, you know, anything weird on the fringe, mm-hmm. that, that's eerie. That's, yeah. that's what made us. Yeah, that's true. Do, to do that. If you grew up in Warren, Ohio or somewhere, it wouldn't have been the same Mm-mm. same music when it came out of, you know. No. No, it was it was de- definitely different. And uh, But I do think right now to see – what, you know, along the Bayfront and along just around Prescott, some of these things happen. It's like, yeah, please clean it up. Take advantage of this. This is amazing. Yeah, that's your. It's, this is beautiful. You know, I don't know how much is really that great as far as, you know, what corporate interests come in and stuff. But, man, make that area nice. Get it so there's things to do. Because when we were young. Oh, it was horrible. No, we just. we Downtown yeah. wasn't. You didn't go downtown. No, oh, and it, I mean, my, my my grandmother lived in the Richford Arms, so I spent a lot of time walking around down there and like take the bus down to her place and stuff, and like, whew. yeah. <laughs> but know? like I said, that's where that's where the music came. That's from. That's where it was happening. Yeah, and, and that's that's the the nitty gritty. I mean, um, you you mentioned shooters earlier, and like the State Street Tavern and stuff like that. Those were shitholes that people would be drinking in at eight in the morning. That that's but then. That's when, where when we showed up. The shows so, were amazing. Right. They had some shows. Was, but that was the inn. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I walked, I, I'll never forget, I walked in Shooters, looked right at the bartender. I said, man, you need to be putting some shows in here. And the place was desolate. Yeah. It was like noon or whatever. You're mm-hmm. day drinkers usually. Oh, yeah. Two guys at the bar. I looked around, man, it got this big room. I'm like, well, put some bands in here. See what happens. Boy, that was the match made in heaven. Because mm-hmm. it was a crap hole. Yeah. You couldn't, it was like a CBGB's. Oh yeah. Basically, I mean, you were there before. Oh yeah. Before they closed, and that place shithole too. Mm-hmm. And you could fall right through the floor. Yeah. But as soon as we put bands in it, that place was hopping, and it would totally, it, hopping, yeah. it would totally change though from your ten o'clock in the morning day drinkers, and then mm-hmm. like six of that, they would all file out because they're out of money, and then yep. the bands. I mean, we put a lot of big bands in there. I mean, Spud Monsters, remember they, yep. they were killing it. Uh, who else did we put in there? We used to do like. A whole weekend, you know, mm-hmm. like six bands, two days. <laughs> you know, it was crazy. When Tim Skelly was bartending during the day there. Yeah. And I sometimes would go just visit him in the day and check the scene of, of the people hanging out in the day. It was just crazy. Oh, yeah. It was scary. And then at night, though, <laughs> that was another thing, too. You could go in for 3 to $5 and yeah. have a beer for a dollar. Right. Those shows were, were great because we put a, like I said, it wasn't, I don't want to say, we're not pretentious, but. 
There was no guarantees. Nobody cared. Mm-hmm. They, they came to play. Yep. They didn't, they didn't worry about the dollar at the door or, hey, can you throw me a six-pack? Nobody, everybody was cool. Yeah. And, and that's what made all those shows work. Yeah. It was the rare occasion when somebody would be tripping back then, like when Jawbox played here. And I told him straight up. There's another situation like when No Effects played. I was like, yeah, please come if you want. But I'm telling you, nobody here knows who you are. They don't. We'll do what we can. You know, maybe we had a month to promote it or whatever. And we'll, you know, get a, what was Jim Welly and them had a radio show, I think on Monday nights on, on WRG. On that Gam, was like yeah. still kind of college rock, but they would put punk stuff in there and they'd always play the stuff we'd ask them if we needed to promote a right. song. Oh, show they were great for us too. Yeah. yeah for And we do what we could to, uh, to promote these things, but it was like, you know, again, a lot of times they would come here on a Tuesday because it was a day off and right. they needed a place. And it was between Cleveland, Puff, Pittsburgh, Buffalo on the way back to DC or whatever they were doing. And, uh, that was the hyenas. They were on like an East coast thing. And they're like, yeah, we could play that Sunday, April 9th. Okay. Let's try it. You know, like, but that was, a, uh, you know, like I remember getting tripped out on by the woman in job box because we didn't have enough money. And I'm like, you're, you're here. You see who's here. You know, and I gave her like 40 extra dollars out of my pocket. Like here, I don't know what to say to you. You know, the strange thing about that, uh, no effects show. Now that I'm thinking about it, the day before that, you, when you called me and said, can you get them on that show or whatever? And the day before 15 and East Bay mud, you remember this? Was it the day before? Yeah. I remember when they show up at my house through book your own fucking life. They show up at my house. You know who 15 was? Yes. Jeff Ott, Crimp Shrine. Crimp Shrine, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. So yes, it's him. I remember, yeah. Right? He walks in the scum house. I don't know these people. Mm-hmm. They're in California. I don't, 15, never heard of you. Now, mm-hmm. if he would have said Crimp Shrine, you know, yeah. I would have been like, hey, man, really? This is like the pre yeah. rancid, you know, this guy. Pre yeah. yeah. Look how right. So he picks up Maximum Rock and Roll and he's paging through it at the house and there's a picture of him in there. He goes, that's me. I'm like, yeah, so what? You know, unpretentious yeah. because we don't care. Yeah. You're not a big star to me. You're, yeah. you're. It's like me saying, "Hey, it's me." You know. Mm-hmm. So, and after that, then he was totally cool. But when he first, at first, he was like, he was like the Lord of Punk or something, you know. And I was like, "You're staying at Scum House, man." Yeah, I remember yeah. that actually. I remember yeah. those guys. They, they were actually pretty good. Fifteen. Yeah. Went on to do a couple records, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Jeff Watt, w- yeah. weird character. Like I said, a lot of people pass through that house that yeah. are. In the scene, you know, I mean, this real scene, you know. Yeah. So that was pretty cool when you look back on it now. At the time, it didn't. Oh well, I got everything. Did MBC. no effects stay with you? Everybody but Fat Mike. Really? They had some money for some yeah. reason back then because he went. He flew his girlfriend in. Okay. To Erie. Wow. To stay, and then he went to a hotel. But the rest of them okay. stayed with us, and those guys were they were funny shit. Yeah, right there. Those guys. Yeah. 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 S and M Airlines was the they album had, they came on. Was it that or the longest line? I know I have test pressings of S&M Airlines, and I wouldn't have that if they wouldn't have it, said it, it to me. It might have been so, that, but, uh, so yeah, they, they were fun. They had two roadies with them called the Moron Brothers, yeah. and they were hilarious, these two guys. And they're, they're probably dead because they almost killed themselves in Erie. You wow, know? wow, like, wow. So, but, yeah, good stories, but th- that's the way the scene was. Mm-hmm. Every, you didn't care if that was Keith Richards walking. You know, yeah, these guys were all big hitters in the, in the game, but mm-hmm. they didn't act like it. No, no. Everybody was, hey, we're here. We're staying at your joint. You know, everything's cool. Yeah, that was the best. And just staying on, uh, like, getting to a city, 
I mean, like, I'm old now. I'm not doing this. No. But back in the day, like, you wouldn't, you'd hope that somebody was going to let you stay there. put you up, 90% yeah. of the time, it was, somebody would. Yeah, I think we got put up most of the time. I, I can only remember a few times we had to sleep in the in the van. I've or, stayed in the van a few times. Sometimes you, you'd stay in the van anyway. Just right. Because. Somebody's house was a little, <laughs> little, little dicey. <laughs> he thought my house was bad. Yeah, no. We walked into a place in, in, in like, Lubbock, actually, which was, that was a hell of a, a time for us with lost and uh everybody was like it was a woman the bartender she's like yeah my kids at the at the uh my her ex's house and so yeah y'all can just stay with us it was it was the night where you know the promoter just didn't exist right no <laughs> nobody like, there okay and she was super nice to let us stay there and i remember me and pete Statmuller. i was like i'm getting the kid bed i'm getting <laughs> right. the kid bed man no way i'm getting i'm not sleeping on the floor he's like oh yeah and we were like at the first two at the door when we walked in and she like opens the door and throws the lights on and just roaches just scattered. Like, <laughs> like I'll so be in the truck. And me and Pete were like, we're staying in the van. We call the van. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always, always good to have a place yeah. called the van. <laughs> yeah. The van. You had to man. But those were the days. And I think it's, I mean, it still exists. It has to, you know, oh, but the internet oh, yeah. does mess things up. I tell people all the time, like you get, there's been some good success stories through the internet and stuff, but really the ones who make it are the ones who take it to the next step and go out and tour and actually right. touch the people, interact with the people for real. Well, you can I, only be virtual for so long. Yeah. And that, that's kind of to get to another point about recording and these, everybody wants to be a home recorder now. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, it doesn't match being in a real studio. Mm -hmm. You know, a few years back, I, I produced a local record for these diesel Houdini. Mm -hmm. and they were, giving me the same story. Like we could just be doing this on our computer. I said, it won't come out the same. No. And we didn't. I took him, Mike Miller, a local okay. guy, produced it, ended up winning record of the year. Oh, nice. Now, if you did that on your computer, I'm telling you what, it wouldn't have sounded like it came out, you know. Mm. You didn't do any engineering tricks or anything, but it was real studio time. That's what I can't tell young kids enough about this with the computer. Right, well, I, Just because you have pro tools doesn't make you a producer. Mm -mm. You know, you can lay down some scratch tracks and then go in the studio and record, but I don't think putting it out that way. Well, there's a difference too between instruments and organic instruments and electronic instruments, you know, and playing your True. You know, keyboards and, and beat machines. Right. Or really trying to capture the sound of guitar and real drums. And yeah. That's, that's a big difference. That's but a process and a technique. Yeah. That is a whole nother ball game. You know, that's. Yeah. But I, I just put it out there for upcoming people that want to do it grassroots and that you, you got to get in a st real studio. Well, I hate to say it too, but being, you know, older and stuff, like I went through a period mid two thousands, maybe where I didn't have a stereo stereo. Like, and I was just, you know, playing stuff through a computer speaker in the house or, you know, having, you know, the phone play right Spotify or some, you know, I, I listen to tune in a lot. Still, I listen to like radio stations in other cities and countries and stuff. And I was doing that, but then I was like, man, I need to I have all these records. I haven't messed with them in a long time. I had some space and I started piecing together and, and just an old school receiver. And we did that here too and got my turntable going again and got some older speakers and connected that. And like, I don't know if I'd forgotten, but I didn't really realize how much different a feeling it is. To quality. hear like an analog, you know, a record coming through an analog uh, receiver and just how it hits you in your chest. 
Like MP3s don't hit you in the chest. No, I, no matter I how good they sound, there's not the same resonance that that hits you physically and spiritually in every other way from these records. But like, I felt like such a I feel like an, an old man saying, you know, you're but it's so real. It's, like you kids so are not experiencing like the same resonance. You're just not no. as we did the, with the, these records. The like, quality's not there. And they're getting what they're getting. They're, I mean, I'm not saying they're not feeling the music or feel, you know, they have their own way of doing things. That's fine. But man, to really have like, you know, let's listen to somebody like Al Green or Marvin Gaye right. and compare that to like hearing the weekend on Spotify. No, yeah, there's no not comparison, the man. <laughs> not, Get no, this out of here. You know, like you'd have the most, you know, $20,000 system in your house. And it's coming through Spotify, which I know I pay for Spotify every month. I'm not dissing them. I am a little sound quality wise, but, uh, man, you can't, it's no, not the same. It's not going to match it. And that's Even why if it sounds really good. Well, I think that's why you're, you're seeing in the industry now too. A lot of people are going back to yeah. anal- analog tape when they're recording and they're now yep. they're going back to the vinyl because they know that's a quality, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to say the loop that they sell you one thing over and over again, but they have, they, they tell you it's on this format. Now it's on this one. When they knew that other one was quality mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they just sold you down the river a little bit, you know, yep. how many copies of the who do you need <laughs> on what format? Man, I don't know. I know uh, I've been digging through my mother's old records and some of her friends, gave us some of their old records. Like we've got a bunch of records in this house right now, more not pre-punk, you know, not punk stuff, but like they sound so good. Yeah. They sound so good. Just playing, you know, you're right. Exactly. I don't think I've ever bought like a remastered album necessarily. I did buy it when third man put out the laughing hyenas records. I got them just because to support. Yeah. And I want it just to have, but, uh, no, I'm not, I don't, who cares? Yeah, it's not a collector's thing. I don't, no. I don't, I don't get that. And I see these prices going through the roof for it's a repress. That doesn't make any sense. No, I mean, I think about like the the Misfits. When I was a kid, I was just you know I was I missed the Misfits. I wasn't there, you know, when when they were out. You know, I was barely Sam Hain probably. Yeah, and I, think, uh, I don't think any of us could say no. you were around when the Misfits were playing. No, <laughs> no. and like. uh but then that was such a cool thing, and we wanted to try and get those records. Man, that was impossible. And then one day, this is you know years ago, not like last year or something. But one day, I walk into Best Buy, and the first record <laughs> on the rack is "Walk Among Us" on vinyl. Right. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> you can get these kids could just go buy this. Got, got the Misfits at Walmart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Edited. Radio got my edited. Gigi Allen over at Target. I know, man. <laughs> you so you so have to hunt that stuff down. Yeah, when we see Gigi at Target. It's over. Yeah. Did you see the movie with his mother? No. Ooh, you have to find, there's a documentary that came out through Showtime, but it's Gigi Allen, it's Merle and his mother. Okay. Well, you got to give a little back, background story here so people know that you interviewed him way back in the day when oh, yeah. we were just kids. <laughs> yeah, no, that was crazy. But uh, <laughs> You don't want to talk about no, it. I'll talk about it, yeah, but you got to see the um, oh, this documentary. Was, okay. because, but what I, the point I was going to make on that was, Merle has built a bit of an empire with like bobbleheads and dolls and this and that. There's a whole Gigi Allen Merle, merch thing. Merle used to call the store. Yeah. Hey, this is Merle. You need any of them shirts yet there, Larry? Yeah. I think that's <laughs> I how I like, started out. I was through. like, I don't think I need that. <laughs> I think through Maximum Rock and Roll stuff, because I used to trade live cassette bootlegs and live uh, video VHS bootlegs. And I started talking to Merle, Gigi Allen's brother, 
trading VHS videos, some yeah. of which are in this closet. And uh, like just punk shows. And maybe we'll talk about Fast Eddie later. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> really get into some eerie history. Really? Right? You got to be here for that one. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll skip that. Uh, <laughs> I got some videos off here, yeah, too. Yeah, right. But uh, Merle, I don't even know how it really happened with me. You know, we did a fanzine, and I used to write to everyone, you know. And, of course, I traded with Merle. And went around the time when Gigi got arrested – he was really trying to get his message, his manifesto out to the people. And I was one of the people who he would like mail me stuff from jail all the time. Like this is documents. Like he'd send me his court documents and this is what the proof that I'm this and that and I'm this and that. And he'd (laughs) he'd call me collect. And I lived with my father at the time. I was probably 17. And, uh, like collect call from a Michigan prison (laughs) or whatever. And my dad would just roll his eyes like Matt. And it would be Gigi going off like on the phone and, we finally did a proper interview and uh, I hung out with him twice in Houston when he came through him and Merle in the band. And um, definitely I'm not saying we weren't like friends, friends, but he did <laughs> used to call me on the phone. And like when he came to Houston, we hung out twice. And the craziest thing about Gigi Allen was, I mean, he was dirty and gross, you know, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, he was, he's keeping, he was keeping it real and stuff and that. But when, you met him, he's just like, yeah, that record was great. I love that album. You know, just talking to him about, like, we're talking about music and this and that. He wasn't like, I'm going to fucking kill everyone. <laughs> right. You know, he was That's- just talking about, like, regular shit, movies or music or whatever. And then, like, right before showtime, like, the first time I was with him, is was backstage at the Axiom, the club I was talking about in Houston, and just blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> when everybody's just there, he just stands up. And starts pissing in the garbage can. And Merle <laughs> just looks at me and, and whoever else. He's like, you guys should probably go. Like, okay. I just got up, walked out. And, I mean, I was with that dude all day. And I was running from his ass at the concert. I was like, get the fuck. <laughs> he was covered in shit. I wasn't. I'm like, I'm not getting bumped by you. You know what it I mean? It just looks like, like hepatitis. <laughs> yeah. And I got out of there. I didn't hang out with him after the show. You know, I was like, going home. But, yeah, definitely unfortunate to have met him we we played but, at uh the penguin pub it was called in youngstown yeah we've been to youngstown yeah yeah pretty rough rough well he was there the night before i remember this story yeah. <laughs> and the guy says man i hope it's nothing like last night and Ooh, i said no i said why who was here and he goes this guy alan i said oh. alan who he said gg alan i said oh okay oh hell no yeah so he said same thing about him he talked with him all day and he mm-hmm. was he was fine and 10 minutes, he disappeared, yep. came back, it was, on. Yeah. it was on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a video on YouTube of that Houston show, actually, I believe. But there's also a video, um, it was the night before, probably night after in San Antonio. And if you Google GG in San Antonio, I mean, you know, the pit was like the circle. And it was just like, dudes, he was, had a, he was singing at the front of the stage and just punch 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 like in a circle people just running up punch him he just jumps out in the crowd the whole place just explodes like (laughs) all right enough of him (laughs) yeah no thank you but 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 i wouldn't i don't i and that's an example of an artist uh or musician i would not have wanted to see an eerie (laughs) no because that had been about 30 seconds till the riot yeah yeah. he come out here it would have been and yeah we would have been on it would have been a mess yeah, yeah. <laughs> Erie's a little tougher than I think he, he would expect. Yeah, we had, not, a, we had a few 
knockups, you know, over the years. Yeah. You know, well, Youngstown the one time, it, the Youngstown football team showed up, thought they were going to interact in the My Three Scum show. Jeez. That turned into a all-out riot. Ugh. Bob smashed the guitar. They hung it after that. We played the, this same joint a couple times after that, and they had stapled it to the ceiling, his broken guitar, and, oh, and our man. set list and said, this is where the riot started. <laughs> but these jocks came in, and they thought they were going to mm. push all the punk rock people around. Well, we had some of our muscle with us, Rob Burke, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was our roadie at the time at Go-Go Rays and Morbid Rob shout out. And oh, uh, he kept getting in trouble everywhere we went. He, he's a pretty rough guy. And we told him, hey, man, you got to stop fighting people, you know, or trying yeah. to keep cool. Well, then this melee breaks out, and I turn around, and I look, and he's behind me on the stage. I said, why aren't you fighting? Because <laughs> we're getting we're getting in a big fight here. And he goes, you told me not to fight. I said, well, now's the time to fight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, man. Yeah. Oh. It was, that was a rough one. We, we had a few over the years, but basically it was always outside people, though, yeah. that weren't part of the, the yeah. scene. You know what I mean? They, they were there looking for trouble. Yeah. We, we weren't instigators or you know, at any no. point. You know? I remember when I worked with uh... – I was I was working for a label in Texas when you had Erie Records and I was working with Fear. Yeah. And uh, we tried to get them to come here and do something on their tour. And their agent said to me, I'm never booking anyone in Erie again. I had the Meat Men play there and someone got stabbed. It's way too violent there. Oh, do you know what that was? No. That was Art, I've heard the story. Art Friedrichs. Sure. No one got stabbed. A uh, kid broke his neck. Ooh. D- stage dive. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, it was the second night of that festival. It was at the Edinburgh Hotel. Remember Art Friedrich, the old man radio show? I know the name, yeah. That was his promotion. And huh. he got the Meat Men. Anti-Flag was there. Us. Uh, I thought the Meat Men show was at Sherlock's for some reason. No, it was outside okay. in that field. It was a mess out there. That I was, and, and I don't know how he got insurance for that show, but the kid is paralyzed. Mm. Yeah. And the, the sad part about the story was they kept trying to pick him up after he broke his neck. And Tesco B's up there, help him up. Help, yeah. help out their general or whatever he was calling him. And the kid, yeah. Tragic and stuff like that happens at shows. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's not as safe as environment as people think. You know, no. I'm not saying don't let your kids go to shows and stuff, but they're kids. Yeah, you know, and it's, sometimes it gets rough. You know, it could be at any show. I don't know. Oh yeah, you know, not just a punk rock show, but yeah, that was that was a pretty bad one. The metal shows were always really bad. Yeah, <laughs> like a Peabody's. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> show up see, with like a Death Angel and stuff. And machete. <laughs> Oh, insane. You see Slayer. Get out of the way. Man, I saw Slayer. I got hit in the head with a theater seat. <laughs> yeah, I got a big theater seat came flying and slammed me in the head. There was uh, fires. <laughs> fires? Fires. People were burning burning the seeds. Like, this is a crazy Slayer story. And there's a promoter in Houston named Tom Bunch who would book shows. And uh, there was a venue called the Masiba, And it was a theater. Um literally a theater and it was it was um owned by ethiopian people like religious ethiopian people from what i understand i didn't book the show <laughs> but i went to see slayer and this guy called masi opened for him it was the south of heaven tour and i mean masi came out and the whole crowd was just like fuck you slayer like throwing shit at him like he it was it was sad he got off stage like within a song I was wow. like, i'm not trying this is crazy and when Slayer came out, like this was like a movie theater seats, like at a theater, they were ripping the seats from the bolts in the ground and just passing them back, <laughs> passing them back. And it was insane. And so I had this happen with a couple of people. And thanks to the internet, we, we figured it out. But, um, 
they, Slayer had played that same place the year before on Rain and Blood with Wasp opening up. So whenever I'd tell the story to someone who was at that show, they're like, no, Wasp opened. Who's Mossy? What are you talking about? Wasp opened. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I never saw Wasp. I saw Mossy and Slayer. They're like, no, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Well, it turns out. And then the story about Slayer's show was the same from everybody. Like, they were setting fires. They were ripping right. the seats out of the ground. It was insane. And I'm like, I was there. Yes, I saw that. And then we find out on the internet that this venue, which was owned by religious people too, booked Slayer twice. <laughs> they didn't learn. Like the, it happened first twice. Time. Like how did that happen twice? Must have made a lot of bank Like the second that. time. That's what I'm saying. Was it like the second one they had like an insurance scam or something? Like why would you bring Slayer <laughs> back to your venue in those days? With, with, what like It was total carnage. Like I got smashed to the ground by a, a flying chair, a flying seat, like the, the padded <laughs> seats with the metal on the bottom. Right. Like it was, and I wasn't in like in the pit. I was scared. I was like, "This is nuts!" And uh, literally, they were setting these seats on fire, and it was in the crowd, and the show did not stop. It was a good hour and a half, two hours of carnage. That's crazy. Nowadays, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do these things happen? I'm sure. I'm sure. We're just not there to see it anymore. No, I don't know. Got smarter. Yeah. No thanks. We didn't pay to go get hit in the head with chairs. Right. You know. What else have you seen, like, in, uh, I mean, what, I remember for a while, State Street Tavern became uh, the Crooked Eye. The Crooked Eye, yeah. And they, Marty, he really. Marty Schwab, that was a great venue. That that venue was on par with any, I'd say about 300 capacity, 250, 300 capacity yeah. venue anywhere yeah. in the country. Yeah, it, he brought in heavy hitters, too. Mm-hmm. He had a good network of. Great uh, stage, great sound, great yeah, lights, all, art. Everything, bar. right. And what the top it all off right before he sold it, closed up, whatever, he brought Black Flag. Yeah. That, that kind of made me feel a certain way finally, yeah. that eerie, you know, Black Flag. I'd seen them all over the country. I mean, I've mm-hmm. seen them on Loose Nut Tour, all that, you know, back in the day with Rollins and that. But to, for him to bring, and and it was a good show. Yeah, I bet. It, Black Flag was still on it. I mean, they had Dez singing, mm-hmm. and, you know, one of the original guys. Singer wise, but yeah, yeah, great. But Marty, yeah, he really upped the game in Erie there for about five years. He yeah. had it. I mean, I mean, Sherlock was, like a legit, was legit. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, that was a destination tour destination for mm-hmm. a lot of those. I mean, they were they were on the circuit there, but it's too too short lived. But yeah, it was. And then with Sherlock's, um, Sherlock's was never my favorite. No, go see a show too too medley for me. We played it a few times, yeah. you know. Over the years, but then now that's gone too. So Erie right. really has taken a, a you know, the beer mug's gone. You got no corner bar action really anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's gonna have to be grassroots again. I mean, where somebody's, were the shows? Somebody's gonna have to start. Yeah, I mean, Forward well, Hall's gone. King's Rook. They were doing some stuff, but it was real. I don't want to say hippie, just indie. Kind well, of I have strange. Question, why are jam bands so big in Erie? Why is that seen such a thing here? I don't know. It is a thing. It's fine, but it's oh like, yeah, it's like the 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 scene. Yeah, it's a big hippy, dirty. Hippie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to call it, but they're into it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think a lot of those just seems like maybe because we have those festivals in the summer here too, mm-hmm. and people start going to those when they're really young, you know, like the gathering mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Maybe that's why the jam band thing is so big. Yeah. As a kid, they're seeing this. Mm-hmm. Um, they grow up and. Become a jam band. I don't know. But. Sure. Yeah, my sister's favorite band is Dave Matthews Band for her whole life. And that was always from here. Like, that was Yeah. Years. 
Yeah. I never really totally got that. I mean, Gannon, if you used to go to like the Dockside or something back before it became whatever it is now. Chinese was, restaurant. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I think so. Oh, man. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, was, the, last time I went, it was like a really bad dance club with more people in security shirts than uh, yeah, it's the, the crowd. The live music scene is going to need an injection here after mm-hmm. everything gets back to what we can call normal again. I think it can happen. I mean, I've gone a couple times, saw Steve Terhoski's combos at Altered State out in the parking lot when the weather was better. And, yeah, you know, people are still trying to hold on to it. And do things. I think, like I said, I mean, here in Erie, it's hard. And you lose your business for any amount of time, it's hard. But in Austin, you know, when your rent is like $40,000 yeah. a month or something, like that's not even possible to survive that six months mm-hmm. for much of anybody. I think there's a real potential to uh, come back. Oh, there'll be a comeback, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I see places that are real big potential that are sitting empty, you mm-hmm. know, um, there's a couple on French street that have been empty for years mm-hmm. that are big venue. I mean, you, uh, yeah. Um, five, 600 people. Yeah. Back in, in the there, day. It's a, remember I did shows down there too. Oliver's. Oliver's. Yeah. Right? And then it became a dance club, this edge or whatever, but that's been sitting empty for years. Yeah. That's got a huge stage. Yeah. That's right. That was a great room. Brought Molly hatchet there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's big enough for that. I mean, yeah, and we did, room. and we did a bunch of all ages shows there on Sundays. Like mm-hmm. the club was closed, so we just had to put away all the booze and Snapcase and yeah, for sure. Some of the hardcore shows were there, but that that venue sits open. That's a that's a gold mine if somebody mm. had the time and money to invest in it. Yeah, I think so because it's it's set up for that already. It already has the stage. It has the sidebar. It has the separate room. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. There are people working on the old Norbs. I don't know what they're doing, but I was down at the uh, on, around Federal Hill with the kids last week, and there were definitely construction people coming in and out of there. Yeah, somebody told me they ripped out the bar, though, sure. and everything. Yeah, um, some investor bought a bunch of those buildings right there. Hmm. So I'm not sure. if it, I don't think it was going to be a bar again. No. I think they were ripping it. And that's a shame because all those old bars in Erie that are getting ripped out, I mean, that's – Serious woodwork from, yeah. from back of the turn of the century, you know. For real. Yeah, those will be gone to history. You know where those go, right, to the antique dealers. Yeah. and. You know. Well, I mean, I think Federal Hill needs a bar. Well, they're expanding. They need a place to hang out. They're expanding there, like, upstairs. You know. Are they? Yeah. But he got in this pandemic. Oh, no, no, no I mean, not the smokehouse. Oh, I mean, federal. just that area, like a oh, place yeah. to go out and hang and make that another. Oh, yeah, because you remember Norbs and then, mm-hmm. you know, the, the forward hall. Those were great Legendary, venues, too, yeah. yeah. But nothing. So hmm. somebody's got to step up. Yeah. When you were coming up, though, I mean, not to go too far. I mean, we are going to go back a little bit. Like, who, who were some of your influences here? How did you find out about like punk rock and eerie back? Because I mean, it was, um, it was heavy metal. Oh, oh, definitely. But like, you know, like you said, the early stuff, the, the Frenchmen, you know, the guys mm-hmm. that were doing fringe kind of punk rock. I, I think I learned more. Got into it more through like the records, going to the what was it called in the mall, the record den? Yeah, exactly. Eric Krista and yep. them, and they were always on the cutting edge of you know like the first band I ever got into was the Clash, and still my right. favorite to this day. But just picking that up, and then it just it snowballs. You know, you, you get that record, and then oh man, what's this thing? What's this Dead Kennedys? Let me yep. check this out. 
just maximum rock and roll. You know what I mean? That's how it exactly. started. And then Kenny Jabinski, the first drummer, me and him went to high school together, and his brother was into some fringe stuff. Mm-hmm. So he'd always bring stuff into school and be like, you know, we were young kids then. Hey, listen to this. What's that? Well, it's the Ramones, you yeah. know? And then, then it just it grew and grew and grew, and then I started getting into different people were listening to the same music and mm-hmm. you kind of went with those people because they were like you. I don't want a cliche story. No, like for sure. It's true. But, but you're attracted to each other socially to hang out because you listen to the same things or you turn on a new music. I just I never was into like mainstream mm-hmm. music. Even when I was little, mm-hmm. I, I can remember listening to my dad's records and they were like, you know, fifties music. And it, that was more appealing than kiss or, you know, queen mm-hmm. or whatever now now i appreciate it more yeah going exactly, back yeah. now i can go back but that other stuff was just so new and cutting edge to you you know when those records were just coming out when i was growing up mm-hmm. the ramones and the clash and i mean that that really changed your whole perspective on i can do this i yeah. can i can press records i can i can make music you know anybody you just put your head to it you know i know I'm- little ambition you know you promoting and yep. and then us meeting, of course. Mm-hmm. And hey, we got the same ideas. Let's book shows, you know. Exactly. Let's get this thing moving. So that's what everybody has to realize. Any you can do it. Mm-hmm. You just gotta sacrifice. Sure. I can't say that enough. Sure. <laughs> you will sacrifice a lot to to do what you love doing. Mm-hmm. But in the end it's worth it. And that's the strangest thing to see the like the co option of, of punk rock and, and even hip hop and things when like you, maybe not you. I remember, I mean, like people got beat up oh, for yeah. being into some different shit. And then all of a sudden Blink-182 and all these bands came That's out. What I it, said. it became like normal. You got, you got, like, they're on TV commercials now. I don't want to sound like the old guy either, no, I but, know, but hey man, growing up in Erie, being a punk rock dude on the streets, you took your life in your hands every day. Yeah. You know, somebody just wanted, they'll just want to pull over because you got a mohawk to beat your ass. Exactly. <laughs> you, you don't know me, you know? And, and thing, thing that always cracks me up now because back in the day, the thing to yell at punk rock people should be like, hey, oh, Devo. Yeah. You know, like that was gay. <laughs> now, now these are the guys that are buying cars that have the Devo on the commercial. Exactly. And they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, know? exactly. But back then, you know, yeah, you, you put yourself... And you hear these stories from older people all the time, you know, even seen interviews with Mike Ness and, mm-hmm. you know, all these old, older punk rock people. It was the same everywhere. You, oh, yeah. It was, there was no safe zone. But now, like you said, it incorporated with the malls, mm-hmm. and I don't want to sound like this, that that guy, but, yeah, it was way different. Way different. It was way different. Like, regular <laughs> kids weren't putting holes in their face. No. Nowadays, they're all putting holes and tattooing their face. That's what I said. I said... I don't get it now. It's like the normal. It's normal. <laughs> Those are the mainstream. The, the, kids. New, the new normal is a yeah. teardrop. Yeah, on your I, face. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that means you killed somebody, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, it's funny to see, man. But yeah, it, how it how it evolution over the decades, you know. Yep. It did. It became the normal. But then I also wonder <laughs> what would it be like? What would we be like as record and music fans and record collectors and stuff? What would we be like if like I'm holding my phone in my hand right now and in my hand is Almost every record ever recorded. Right. Like, if we had access to just go, oh, somebody just talked about this band. Click. <laughs> Let me listen to this. What well, if that was what it was like when we were 13? Yeah, it would have been a whole different operation. It has though. to be, yeah. I, I always say that about the internet and this looking everything up. Quality. You don't really, you, you don't know anything, really. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I mean? It's not obtained knowledge. We have no. obtained knowledge because we went out and searched. This is how I'm going to do this. This is how I'm going to book mm-hmm. tours. This is going to, you just press it and it's there for, yeah, you, your whole, how, how you look at music would have been totally different. We would have never searched out these seven inches and these cassettes and tape. Hey, look, I taped this for you five different things. No, no, mm-hmm. you just hit the thing. So yeah, it would have been totally different. The generations, I, I hate to say they're going to miss out on that. Mm-hmm. But, I wonder myself, the, would, the would chase, I care as much? Would the, I be that right. excited about it or would I be? Because what always drives me crazy is that like, and it's typical. I mean, it's, it was like that when we were kids. Most people were listening to the pop music and, and they weren't real deep in the underground. But just like, radio, when you yeah. have it in your hand and you have access to all this different type of music, but it's still like the main top 10. There's still a top 10. There's still a, what everyone's right. listening to the same thing. Yeah, it's not not That's so much trip. the underground anymore. Mm-mm. It's not really. But like you said, uh, the, the passing of music to friends and that, that was a big part of that growing up culture. Mm-hmm. with the underground scene you know but i still i'm old i'm almost 50 and i sit and listen to i go through some nights on soundcloud and just click 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 go down 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 to like a bunch of people never heard of different styles of music and i always i find stuff still sure. digitally it's fun but that access to me if i had that access i mean thinking about trading video cassettes and waiting like two weeks and hoping they actually send it to you right and then you get it and you got to watch this you know, dicey version of a concert on your little TV. Black and white. VHS, black and white, whatever. Sometimes they were shot, you know, black and white, not on purpose, or the quality was so far (laughs) down the line when you get it. And now YouTube, like, I'll do that too sometimes. Just find an old show on YouTube. Everything's on there. That's, Mm -hmm. yeah. I guess that's, that's what it is then. It's cool. I like it, but I do, I wonder personally, like, what would I, or what would you be like if we had that, would we still be going through every yeah. Cause I think like somebody you'd read an article, like interview with some band and flip side or something. They'd mention like an old blues guy or they meant like Sonny Stitt or they mentioned John Coltrane or something, Lee Scratch Perry or somebody out there that influenced them that you as a 14 year old in Erie hadn't heard of yet. And right. so what would you do? You go to Debbie at record country and say, can you get a Lee Scratch Perry or whatever? And then six weeks later, Something would arrive. <laughs> Something, <laughs> right, maybe. And then, yeah, if you're lucky and you go home and listen to it, you know, and <clears throat> that's how it happened. But now it's like, I do this. I'll be reading something and more like with new bands. Like somebody says, oh, yeah, this band from our town is good too. I'm like, okay, let me click, find this. Yeah. You know, it's so easy. Yeah, like I said, I think I think the thrill of the whole thing was the chase. Mm-hmm. To find that, to research this and well let's do this let's do that but like i said it's too easy Mm -hmm. it so is the thrill still there for a 13 year old kid from erie pennsylvania that thinks one day he's going to book tours and you know go on the road would it still be there that kind of spark or would it just be like oh well i'll just watch it on youtube instead of up his basement to uh (laughs) live stream bands now right right. and the bands come over and he has his own erie rocks 2021 (laughs) basement tour yeah for sure but, that was another thing we had public access cable oh yeah that was big i wish i had every eerie rocks did you see somebody started posting some of that there's stuff. some up there yeah the some, satin some metal yeah some metal stuff and i i want the generic beat episode yeah because that was a that was a pivotal a punk moment for me too uh i was still on 26th street for sure so i was you know probably 12 13 or whatever i don't know how old i was when i saw them on eerie rocks and they had that I hate them all song. Yeah. 
And uh, I was like, oh, these are, this is cool, you know, and I didn't tape it. So, and then I maybe saw it once or twice, you know, and, but that was, you know, I started that, looking for that. I know? forgot that, that band too, Generic Beat. And, and on the Erie label, go back to the Erie label, we put out the, one of the first punk rock bands, Erie, X-Whites. X-Whites, yeah. We, I have that single here. Yeah, I dug that up. The tape was from Bernie, rest in peace. He just, mm-hmm. he just passed last mm-hmm. year. But uh, so did Sylvain Sylvain. I saw that. He just yeah. passed. He was here a couple. I of years saw him ago. at the. I saw him with Cheetah Chrome at right, the, the, at, at the Crooked Eye. Yeah, Frank put that out. That, yeah, that record. Yeah, but Bernie played with Sylvain. Okay. In the Ugly Americans. Dang, that's right. So they both passed within a year, but but the, the first punk, real punk band of Erie, I would say, was the X Whites, mm-hmm. Danny and uh, Ricky Eggleston and Bernie. But then years later, he gave me a eight reel to reel. And it was under his bed mm-hmm. up in Brooklyn for like 10 years. And he smoked a lot. And then the thing, the tape was practically wrecked. Mm-hmm. So we had to do what you call bake the tape and you put it in the oven and we got those four songs off. Wow. And that's how that record came to be. And that was years later, but it was live, a live recording. Mm-hmm. I, it might've been Oliver's too, where that was recorded at. But the craziest thing about that story was I'd always post stuff in maximum selling, you know, a guy from Japan bought 200 copies of that record. Really? Because it was recorded in 1977. Wow. And he was a big collector of American punk. Yeah, 200 copies. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you. But that's a good record. That, yeah. That's a good documentation of Erie in like 1977. You could tell the energy of that record. It's, you know. Yeah, for sure. I actually didn't get it until recently from Bob at the Saga Club uh, flea market oh, really? they had one day, and randomly I saw him there. Yeah, yeah, that, that that was that was one of my prouder moments. Yeah, putting that record out. You know, some of your eerie heroes you looked up to. I looked up to those guys. Yeah, you know, they they all played for years and years, and that was I'm, I was glad that came my way that we mm-hmm. could, we could put that put that record out, not just the newer stuff. You know, but sure. we, we we put out a bunch of newer bands that you know got good recognition from having the record for sure you know i was really stoked one day because i like i said i had seen pistol whip as a little kid and had like vague memories of it but it was definitely just something different from when i was young and it was just at the arts festival everybody went to the arts festival and uh, i happened to get to see that when smogvale put out that pistol whip cd dvd set that was a big deal i I really wanted to get that and i got it and uh then one day Rick DeBello on Facebook was like, I just found like five copies of the original seven inch in the in the archives here, perfect condition. I messaged him and I bought it for like twenty five bucks. But it was worth it to me just sure. to have that. I you know, and I was so happy to get that piece of uh history. Cause I mean bands like that, the X Whites, Pistol Whip, I mean every oh, and city in, has in, in between there too, Danny, you know, Danny Smith, bunch of bands on generic beat. Mm-hmm. But uh the uh, first time I think I saw him was uh, the Wiggle and Judy's. Oh, man, that's right. And him and Cuneo, and I can't remember who else, but they were playing on a flatbed truck in front of the Times News in the parking lot. I don't know what that was all about. It's like us playing the... Well, didn't the Cuneos like <laughs> the, own the Times? The wave pool. <laughs> and then these guys are playing. <laughs> and this is before, you know, yeah. even the scum or FOD, you know. And here they are in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They own the paper. Well, yeah. But why was this punk band playing... <laughs> Cause it's eerie yeah. and it's weird. It's weird. And it fits right in. Yeah. 
I think it's great. <laughs> the, the history is so fun to, to dive into. And then to think about, I mean, the metal stuff too here back in those days was. Oh, yeah, there was a big metal scene. Dirty looks. Henrik, rest in peace, all these yeah. guys, you know. Yeah, he, he he put it down there for a while. I know. He, he, he got pretty big. Some of the, and like, I know they moved, the snowmen moved. Yeah, I have that record too. You do have that? On white vinyl. Yeah. Oh, man. I I definitely had it as a little kid. I don't what's have it, it anymore. What's his name? McConnell, the drummer? Yeah. He's a doctor. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Damn. There's stuff on YouTube from them, and I've seen it on Discogs. Yeah. I, I think I found it here, here in Erie somewhere. I can't remember mm. exactly, but... As soon as I saw the Erie connection, I always grabbed, you know. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I was like, oh, and then I got home and it was white. I'm like, oh, white vinyl too. Yeah, and there's a video. Is there really? Yeah, they had a video. It's on YouTube. <laughs> I got to check that yeah, out. Yeah, you need to see that. And uh, the stabilizers. Oh, they had another, another Erie, yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't like that connection, though, too, that when they go to make it big or whatever, and then they never mention Erie. That's right, yeah. I think that's kind of a, a diss on this town. This town's a rock and roll, punk rock. Mm-hmm. underground whatever town man that's where you came from yeah it is and, and that's where you <laughs> learned your chops you know yeah because yep. like you said this is the roughest place to play on the planet <laughs> yeah so, so if you why do why do you want to say you're some somewhere else yeah for sure. i think it would make you sound more like an artist if you said you were from this little mm-hmm. hometown one hundred twenty thousand people put out all this music all the people that came out of here that's it's true per capita it's probably one of the biggest music making cities. It was happening back then. You know what yeah. I mean? For sure. Just musician wise, there was always somebody, mm-hmm. you know, that you knew or somebody was playing or, but. I mean, you think about it too, not so much now as it was back then, but those bars on six, on, I'm, I just said Sixth Street because of Austin. <laughs> right. Those bars on State Street here were well, that music was, venues. That was the proving ground. For, yeah. For was, you walk up and down and in and out of all kinds of shows. Yeah, exactly. When it, that's what it, to make it thrive again, that's what's going to have to happen. You have to multiple venues, mm-hmm. not just everybody. You know, we kind of got niched into things where we'd book some of the same bands. But then again, there was times when I did shows at like Norb's. One time I had a magician. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd mix it up. I'd put a punk band with a you know hippie band, whatever. And here's this guy doing magic tricks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and for a couple bucks. But that made that thrive too because people would come. Not just for the one mm-hmm. thing. They might not like what we were doing, but hey, this other band was good, you know. Yeah, you had to get real creative to get. Yeah, because there were so many. There were so many venues and only so many people at yeah. that at that time, especially on State Street and you know, Norbs up there. And yeah, you had to get a little creative if you want to get more than ten people in there. Yeah, for real, for real. Well, I think it's interesting to see, and I'm excited to see what happens here. I'm. I have a lot of hope. I see even Buffalo and Cleveland and, and Pittsburgh's become like a tech hub and like yeah. all these cities that were industrial had industrial, to go, yeah. had to go tech. Cause that's, they got all the big buildings still. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Yeah. Which can, I think you can fill them up with these computer banks and <laughs> oh yeah. Being right in the middle of all that though. I mean, Cleveland, you know, art museum is amazing. And the one in, in Buffalo and Pittsburgh's full of art, like full of music, full of culture, this whole region. And we're right there in the middle and we have the best beaches. Yeah, well, this is a summer destination, but yeah. th- I think the weather too here mm-hmm. has played into the music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You got a long, dark winter. You got a lot of time to write yeah. music and well, you know, do other things than playing outside. You know, exactly. So, I always liked. I always said I liked the bands from the Midwest and stuff way better than the West. I never was into No Effects and stuff like the West Coast punk stuff. I was into Black Flag and the Weirdos and some of the stuff, but like yeah. not the bigger. 
that wasn't my thing. Like I like the more edgy, rough. Yeah, I think environment living under the plays. blizzard. <laughs> yeah, I think environment plays a little bit, makes you a little different person. <laughs> Literally nothing else to do, but well, be out you there. Got to get creative. Yeah, and you you find stuff to do. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, music wise or whatever, art. Uh, yep. Yeah, I think maybe maybe it's too sunny out there. Yeah, right. It's too nice. <laughs> Would you have had an Iggy Pop if you lived in California? No. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. No, that was very special. That whole right. Detroit, you know. Detroit to Chicago. I said any Ohio town. I mean, yeah. every place we ever played, gritty. Yeah, I mean, Devo's from Akron. Yeah. So is Pretenders. Yeah. Really. Exactly. I mean, yep. But Cleveland, Columbus, you know, rough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at different music and that's that's what I said. Gritty. That's why Erie thrived. I think all these years. Mm-hmm. It did. Don't don't go soft on us, kids. Yeah, don't go soft, <laughs> kids. We'll see. I mean, I'm interested to see what the next generation has to uh, offer. I know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of hip hop here now, and a lot of uh, people making beats. Yeah. I, I sometimes will go in the YouTube wormhole <laughs> and try to find eerie stuff. And there's yeah, a lot of people there, there is on that level. I, I think that's. Kind of like the new underground, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan, but mm-hmm. I I've got friends that are in in the hip hop and yeah, you know, produce their own stuff, and that's good. Yeah, I'm still out there doing it. Yeah, you know, but yeah, that seems to be the I think with the computer age and stuff too, it's it's easier to make beats and oh yeah, and all that. You know, you had to go out and buy a Fender guitar and. <laughs> Get mm-hmm. a crappy van and an amp. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a little tougher. It's true. I know there's kids out there still oh, banging it out. Definitely. And I've, I actually went into World of Music a while back and was surprised how thorough their stock was. They're still going. Oh, strong. That's classic. Strong. Theory. And yeah, and it was great about that because they brought a guitar center mm-hmm. at the mall. Yeah, I saw I, that. And I thought, oh, that, that's going to be, you know, the end of World of Music is institution and area. Mm-hmm. They always helped everybody out. Always. You needed an amp, you needed a cord, whatever. You know, I give them all the props for that. But I thought that was going to be the death of them, like a bringing a Walmart to mm-hmm. knock out your mom and pop, you know. But it didn't. Mm-hmm. They got stronger. They got a lot of stuff in there. Man, I hate to say it. But I don't hate to say it necessarily, but from like, like what I said about Austin, so much of the old stuff being gone. In Erie, I feel like the established places – We've lost some, for sure, of course, but the established places that have been around and, and really laid the groundwork here, and they're still around. A lot of places are still here. And then so many things come and go, like new things. People are trying yeah. new things. But like the old school, some of the bakeries, some of the restaurants, some of these places are places I went to as a kid. You it's know, got like, deep culture it's still here. Like, and people, yeah, and people cling to that here. Yeah. They don't want to see their local bakery go down and I'll just go to Wegmans and mm-hmm. you know I mean that's part of our culture in Erie too hold on and just like world of music that you were talking about a minute ago how many great musicians in Erie worked there mm-hmm. over the years I mean I mean generations yeah yeah I mean guitar techs I mean I can I can name a handful of people you know John Rainey mm-hmm. Dave <clears throat> Waltrip I mean mm-hmm. all these people and and they gave them the opportunity to work on their craft and learn, yeah, yeah and, and that's why that store's still there. Yep, <clears throat> it's incredible. Yeah. It's real. I mean, it's a pretty real place. Yeah, the city. Yep, that's that's what we got to say about Erie, and, and it'll be back. <laughs> yep, it will. And I appreciate you for sure coming sitting down with me here. This will be the first one. I want to do more. I'll be back and forth here a lot more than I have been in 
years, actually. I've spent more time here this year than I have in a long time and really enjoyed it and really want to maybe talk to more people, get more of these stories out of Erie. You should. And thanks for having me. Because that was a big thing for me, Erie Rocks. Yeah. Things all like all that. of Just us. seeing what growing, was happening in the Growing town, up, you know? and, and you think about that, too, all the people that laid the groundwork for the Access Channel and stuff, and, yeah. they, and they were doing music shows. And this, yeah. is, this is before, you know. You're not just grabbing a tape recorder and and tape. You had to go take a class. Mm-hmm. You had to learn, you know, how to how to run the camera stuff. But yeah, those were great, and that that formed the whole eerie culture of music too. Because you could, for the first time, that was before MTV and crap. You know, mm-hmm. that was big. And you couldn't too young. So was I. You couldn't go to the bar. Mm-hmm. That's where all these people were playing. I think before us, you and me, mm-hmm. the groundwork for the all ages show. There really was no structure there for nobody was doing that yet Mm-mm. i'm not saying we're that groundbreaking because yeah, we mean. saw these things in other cities that we knew that you had to do something at that age group not just the bar you know yeah but i think that was our all ages show yeah was watching eerie rocks or any scrap of video we could get our little greedy hands on exactly. you know? <laughs> like, did you want to get into fast eddie I'm no <laughs> is he still alive I wouldn't know. Uh, oh, come on. Fact. He's on your on, he's on your list. On my list, yeah. We're still trading VHS. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to the house, though. No. No. <laughs> That's that double mirror. Yeah. Man, those days. People don't know what we had to go through. <laughs> Creep. <laughs> People really have no idea what no. we had to go through in those days. I was rough growing up. Yeah, man. Keep but, eerie weird. <laughs> yeah, be careful at the comic book show, y'all. Don't, uh, don't just talk to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, yeah, but that was fun. It was great to talk to you, man. Always great to see you. And if anybody, are you still selling records? you still have catalog you get rid of? Is there any place we can find the music online? I know you said uh, Spotify. Yeah, I just listen to it for free. Yeah. I'll tell you a quick story. All these years, uh, records out there and that, and then all the stuff showed up. I think it was Bob and Frank put it on Spotify. Smogville. Two years ago, this check comes in the mail. Mm-hmm. First money I ever made off of music. Really? <laughs> Royalties. It yeah. wasn't anything. It was only a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. But then it started me thinking, where's that money been going all this time? And I have a feeling I could follow the trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, that's your paycheck. So yeah. remember, kids, you work, you work at your craft for 30 years, and someday you'll get a $200 check. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's something. Well, but, you know- en- but enjoy your time. And get out there on the road and do it. Man, I hate to say this, though, because this is, I said no to it. But I've had a couple people come to me, and, I, and since then I've looked into this. There's people out there buying up catalogs from, especially like old black artists, you know, musicians who aren't making the money off their catalogs. Yeah. But there is stuff out there streaming, and they're doing this whole manipulate. You know, one guy was telling me, I have 250,000 songs I own now. And I'm like, from who? <laughs> you know, and he's like, and it's generating this much because I can do this and that. And I was like. I will have nothing to do with going and buying some old black man in Mississippi's catalog, <laughs> taking his pittance from him right. for 600 bucks or whatever you're trying to give him right now. Like, but that's a thing. Yeah. That's happening right now. I'm sure there's probably more things we don't know about yet. <laughs> there's lots, lots of bullshit in this industry, but we've survived. And uh, <laughs> I'm so happy to talk to you, man. I'm excited to see what, what comes next. All right. Good talking. All with right. You. Larry Weaver. Erie, Pennsylvania, My Three Scum, FOD, Public Enemy, all these groups. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. Okay. We'll talk Thank again. You. Yep.